Well, good morning. My name is Jared Van Voorst, and I'm the Lakeville campus pastor here. And this is Trent Mullis, the children's ministry director. We just wanted to set the record straight because we're aware that people get us confused from time to time. Even our kids, our kids uh, run after us in the hallways from time to time. Uh, but I will say this. If you don't like the sermon this morning, uh, just talk to him. Okay? Can we thank Trent for all the work that he and the children's ministry team are doing? Thank you, Trent. He's actually my body double, which is always nice to have. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Welcome to Hosanna. If you're joining us in the room or watching online or watching later, thanks for joining us. I'm going to invite our ushers forward to receive today's offering. Thank you so much for living generously, Hosanna. Uh, You're you're multiplying the hope and heartbeat of Jesus, not just locally, but globally as well. And Trent talked about that at the beginning of the service with our our groups of people that are uh, our teams that are going out uh, globally and making an impact around the world. So thank you for living generously. We are in a series called uh, anchored. We're finishing it up, and it's loosely based on this book called Father God, and we'd highly recommend that you pick one of these up in the bookstore. I believe there's a few left, and uh, it, this, is, this has actually been a very personal book for us as a staff as we've gone through this book together at our stra- staff retreat, and uh, you're going to find that there's a lot of elements in here uh, that have a lot to do with the series that we've been talking about, so check this out if you get an opportunity to. Um, this series, we've been looking at the baptism of Jesus and uh, what we found in uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, when, uh, when a voice from heaven says, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We find that just in that one verse, in that one verse, Jesus recognizes that he has a great sense of his identity And love from the Father as well as delight. And therefore, he has a place in the world. Or more specifically, a place in the kingdom of God that transforms the world. And so that's the fourth link of the chain is place. We're going to be talking about that today. And what we want to ask ourselves is, what's our place? What's our place? And so to talk about this, I want to talk about uh, kind of where we are in our youth and our younger years. We get place communicated to us in our younger years. How many of you grew up going to family functions and you had to sit at the kids' table? Just raise your hand. Nice and not. Yeah, a lot of hands going up. We had to sit at the kids' table. Uh, the kids' table communicates place. Right, uh, your place is over there. You're you're sort of sort of out of out of sight, out of mind. Uh, kids are to be seen but not heard. Uh, that's your place. And then we see grown-ups are sitting at the grown-ups table. And at what point do you get to sit at the grown-ups table? And some of you listening to the sermon right now are like, "Wait, I, I still sit at the kids' table at family functions." And that's okay. It's time to move up in the world. Uh, but the kids' table communicates place that your place is over there, away from the real conversation and the real food in some cases. Uh, we learn place at a young age. Also, uh, maybe you grew up and you had a mom or dad, a grandma, grandpa, and you followed them everywhere around the house and you wanted to help out with the projects that they were doing around the house. And so you had your you know, toy tools or screwdrivers or whatever. And so you'd follow them around, you'd want to help out, but they would often say, uh, sorry, no, you can't really help, or this is, this is for grown-ups to do, or uh, you know what, I, there's a certain way that I have to do it and, and you can't really help. You know what, why don't you just go play? You go play. That communicates place. Uh, I have a five and a half year old daughter, Cora, and uh, every time, just about every time that I'm leaving home for, for work or I'm leaving uh, from having lunch with them, I'll go back to work. And right as I'm heading out the door, she will almost always say, Daddy, I want to go to work with you, which is cute. And that's nice. And it, it feels good for her to say, but uh, I'm like right out the door. So I come up with some quick response to say back to her. And I say, oh, no, uh, it's, it's not any fun. You wouldn't like it. Uh, you know, actually, work is really boring. I just answer emails all day. 
which is totally not true. I love my job. It's not boring at all, but I can't let her in on the secret, right? Because then she's going to keep asking to go to work with me. And, and so I head out the door. But that, that communicates place. And eventually I'm going to have to change the way that I talk about work, right? So that she doesn't think work is just something boring that adults do. And, and all of these things are, they're way more nuanced than that, right? Uh, like uh, all of the examples that I just gave you, they're not going to have long lasting damaging effects on kids or on us growing up. Uh, but hopefully uh, as you grow up, you're, you're having to relearn your place. You, you learn it from a young age and then you relearn it and you grow a little bit older and then you continually have to relearn your place. And hopefully you're able to do that in a healthy, loving environment where, where these things are in place, where, where there's identity and, and love and, and delight, right? And therefore, uh, you, you sort of have a sense of place in the world. But even then, if you have those things in place, it doesn't necessarily make it easy to understand what your place in the world is. And definitely, if these things aren't in place, then it's really hard to know what your place is. And what's tricky is when we transfer that over into uh, discussions of faith. Discussions of faith. So if I don't know where my place is, well, maybe that has to do with what God is like. Or maybe to God, I'm out of sight and out of mind. I'm perpetually at the kid's table in God's mind. Or, Or maybe it's actually God who's the one that's out of sight, out of mind. Where's God's place? Is God distant and uninvolved? And we can begin to have these thoughts about, about place. And so it becomes increasingly important for us to come back to this metaphor of an anchor and the links that connect to it. And each link is important to know and experience that we have a true identity in Christ. To know that we are deeply loved. To know and experience that, that God isn't annoyed with us or, or angry with us even, but actually delights in us. And therefore, we have a place. We have a place, not just in the world, but in the kingdom of God. Or a better way I could say it is, if all of these three are in place, then wherever you are, you have place. So what is place? When we talk about place, what is that? Well, sometimes when we talk about place, we talk about it like uh, a calling. We use that word calling, or maybe, maybe the word purpose. And that's partially true, but it's not so much calling like, you know, what college I attend or what job I have or, or who do I marry even. All of that has to do with what I do within the place that I am. Uh, what we're talking about in this topic of place uh, is more so, not, not so much what do I do, but where do I belong? Or maybe even more specifically, do I belong? Do I have a place here? It's more of an internal process than an external one. And what can make that challenging to answer, to find an answer to that question, is the fact that life is always changing around us. The world is always changing. Our role might be ever changing. Or to stick with the boat metaphor, our boat is susceptible to storms and wind and waves. But if we're anchored, if we're anchored, then place and belonging begin to take hold. Belonging is something that's, that's incredibly important to us, uh, especially not just in the church, but also in culture. Uh, how many of you watched the show Cheers? It's a super popular show. It was on uh, for like 11 years, and then the reruns came after that. And, and part of the reason that that show is so successful is the opening song, the theme song to, uh, to the show Cheers. And think about the lyrics. You, you got to help me out. Don't leave me hanging. You got to finish the lyric, okay? It goes something like this. Sometimes you want to go. 
Perfect. Awesome. You just auditioned for the worship team. You all made it. Way to go. I'll tell Chris. Uh, and, and I hope actually that somebody's watching online right now and you're in a public place and you just sang that out loud and now everybody's staring at you. Way to go. Just own it. It's totally okay. In fact, invite all those people to come watch the rest of the message with you. They're going to enjoy it. Belonging is important to us. We want to know that we have a place. We want people to know us. We want to be known. We want them to know our name. We want to feel safe inside. I want to show you how this plays out in the ministry of Jesus. And so if you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. Luke chapter 8, verse 26 to 39. And we're going to talk about this. And if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. It's going to be on the back screen. And you can follow along in that way. And also, I want to say this. If you are brand new to the Bible or you're new to this story, um, it's, there's some pieces about it that are maybe just a little bit strange. And that's okay for you to think that and feel that. I understand that. Uh, but stick with us. We're going to go through it. It's also a longer story. I'm going to read it straight through, and then we'll talk about it. Here we are in Luke chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. So they arrived in the region of the Gerasenes across the lake from Galilee. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time, he had been homeless and naked, living in the tombs outside the town. As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. Then he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. The spirit had often taken control of the man, even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles. He simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness, completely under the demon's power. Jesus demanded, what is your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. The demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, and the demons begged him to let them enter into the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all of the people in the region of the Gerasenes begged Jesus to go away and to leave them alone, for a great wave of fear swept over them. So Jesus returned to the boat and left, crossing back to the other side of the lake. The man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him home saying, no, go back to your family. Tell them everything that God has done for you. So he went all through the town, proclaiming the great things that Jesus had done for him. It's an interesting story. First of all, I want to talk about the physical place that they're in, because that's important to the story. We, we see right at the top of the story that they're in the region of the Gerasenes. Now, to you and I, that maybe doesn't mean a whole lot, but that's a, that's a clue to tell us where they are geographically. There's another clue, and this is a phrase that get, gets used in this story as well as other stories throughout the Gospels, uh, the other side of the lake. That's a common phrase that gets used, and there's meaning there. We, we tend to kind of just pass by that one, but that actually has uh, a lot of meaning for what we're talking about. And then the last clue, which is a little bit more defining, is the fact that there are pigs. There's pigs there in the story. Part of the reason that's defining is if you know anything about Jewish customs and kosher laws, but they have nothing to do with pigs. Pigs are not kosher. 
according to Jewish people. And so they wouldn't be caught dead near pigs. And yet here they are, surrounded by a herd of pigs. So where are they? They're in Gentile territory. Or if you're new to the Bible, new to the church, they're in non-Jewish territory. They're in a place where they're not technically supposed to be. Uh, Gentiles, according to Jews, were considered unclean or outside of God's plan. They didn't believe in the God of Israel. They didn't follow the Jewish customs. They were kind of, uh, to use the phrase that we might recognize, they lived on the other side of the train tracks. You don't go over there. You don't deal with them. And, and part of the issue here is that they, they took part in a lot of pagan practices, which might explain why this man is demon-possessed. And yet, this is the place Jesus goes. By choice, he crosses the other side of the lake to Gentile territory. Which I think says something about the character of God, right? About the place, God's place with humanity. Just a moment ago, I mentioned, you know, some of us might wrestle with this question, well, where's God? Is God even here? Is is God distant? Is he uninvolved? And those are good questions to ask. And yet we see in this story, among many other stories, I firmly believe this is a way of God telling you, I am right here with you. I'm willing to actually go to the places where I'm not supposed to go. He goes into Gentile territory in the person of Jesus. He crosses over the other side of the train tracks, if you will. And he goes with love and compassion and brings about healing. He deals with the mess. This is the character of God. Some of you have experienced that in your own life. This sensation that God has crossed over barriers to come be with you. To show his grace, his mercy, his power in your life. I'm not going to go too deep into the actual healing of the demoniac or the interaction with the demons called legion and all of that. There's a lot of cool nerdy stuff that we could talk about, some seminarian stuff that we could discuss uh, at hand in this story. Uh, But I want to stay focused on the task at hand of talking about place. And eventually, as we move on down, we see that Jesus does eventually heal the man. He heals the man. He frees him of the demons. But then what we see Jesus saying to the man is is very interesting. It's a very curious response of Jesus after the man has been healed and now is begging to go with Jesus. Begging to go with him. Jesus says, no. He says, no, you can't come with me. Or essentially, don't come and follow me. At least physically follow me. So go back to your family. What is going on here? What is that all about? See, most of the time when we read stories about Jesus interacting with somebody, uh, oftentimes he's saying, leave everything and come follow me. He says that almost all the time, but not here. Doesn't say it to this man. See, after this man is healed, he wants to go with Jesus. But his place is not to physically follow Jesus, but instead to follow the way of Jesus in the place he already is. I think sometimes in church world, we think that in order to live out the way of Jesus, we have to do something big or we have to go somewhere else or I have to go to Africa. Then I'm living out my faith. And that might be true in some cases or maybe some of you are and have been called to that. And that's great. And God can and wants to use all of us in the place that we already are. He wants to use us in the place that we already are. And so he pushes this man 
towards something different. He pushes him toward the place of reconciliation, which you might argue is maybe a greater challenge than just picking up, leaving, and following Jesus. It might be easier to follow Jesus in this story, to physically follow Jesus. But he pushes this man toward reconciliation. Go back to your family. Go back to your community. He pushes this man, hopefully, eventually, toward place and belonging. But it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy because how has the village been described so far? Well, they've put him on the outside of the town. They, they've put him in chains. He's under guard. And even after the healing takes place, the crowd has come out and said, go away, Jesus. We don't want you here. Uh, the, the crowd's probably feeling a little uneasy about this whole situation. Like, did the healing actually take place? Is this like a permanent thing? Is this guy really okay? Uh, they're probably a little nervous, uh, you know, if they can trust this guy even. What has actually taken place? Does he remember anything? Does he remember how we've treated him or how he's treated us? I think about it like this as an example. Like I know there are some people in my high school that I probably didn't treat all that great. And so if I were to go back to my hometown and maybe run into one of these people and see them on the street and, and as I'm approaching them in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh, do they remember what I was like in high school? Do they remember what they were like? How's this interaction going to go? Is this going to be super awkward? That's really hard. And so this man goes straight back to his village. What's this going to be like? Is he afraid? Is that why he wants to go with Jesus? Just to leave it all behind and not even deal with it? I mean, is he terrified to, to find out maybe he doesn't have a place here anymore? Is the community, is the village, is his family, are they even going to accept him? Does he belong anymore? What happens? How does it turn out? Well, the cool thing is we actually get to look back inside the story and, and see a follow-up. We don't get to see it in the book of Luke. Uh, Matthew and Mark both record this same exact story, but only Matthew and Mark actually record a follow-up to the story. Jesus goes back to this same region. It's actually a, an entire region called the Decapolis, which is a Greek word for 10 cities. Any guesses as to how many cities are in this region? 10, you got it. Way to go. 10 cities in this region, and not just any 10 cities, but 10 Gentile cities. Jesus goes back to this area, and here's what happens. The crowd, who at one point in the story that we just read, the crowd who is begging Jesus to leave because they're terrified of what has just taken place. They are now, in Matthew and Mark, and the stories that they record, they are now bringing out everybody in droves, bringing their sick and their deaf, their, bl their, their blind, their, their lame people back to Jesus for healing. They want a part of Jesus. Gentiles want something to do with Jesus. What changed? What happened? Is it possible that because Jesus freed this man, and gave him a sense of place and belonging that it actually turned into a calling where Jesus said, go and tell everything that God has done for you. And he actually did it. He did it. And he went and he literally, to use the Hosanna language, multiplied the hope and heartbeat of Jesus, not just with his family, but in 10 cities, 10 Gentile cities, 
where people don't believe in the God of Israel, where people don't uh, follow the Jewish customs, but somehow they had an interaction with Jesus and they want more. Because Jesus changes everything. Jesus gives them a sense of place. See, people find that with Jesus, they have place, that they belong. They have a purpose and a calling. And no matter what comes their way, they are anchored. They're anchored. They remain attached to God through Jesus. Everything that took place in the baptism of Jesus, the identity the love, the delight, and now place. Jesus is multiplying that in the lives of other people. And not just anybody in this story, but Gentiles, people on the outside, people that weren't considered part of God's plan, at least according to the Jewish people. But Jesus turns the narrative around and says, absolutely, you too have a place in the kingdom of God. You're part of this thing as well. And this permeates the entire region. And it continues with a guy by the name of Paul, who we talk about a lot because we see him, uh, he writes half the New Testament and he's writing letters to churches that are filled with Gentiles, non-Jews, people on the outside. Now they have a place. Now they have a place because Jesus is the ultimate placemaker. Let me ask you, What's your place? What's your place? As I was preparing for this message, I I thought of four different people groups, and there might be more, but these were the four that kind of came up in my mind, in my heart, as I was preparing for this. First group might be, uh, you know your place, you like your place, and maybe you're in a place of influence. You're in a place of influence. You uh, maybe have some stability in your family, your home life, your work life. Maybe you've done well financially, uh, and you have uh, a position of leadership even, I would ask you, how are you following the way of Jesus where you are, where you already are? Are you faithfully and biblically stewarding your gifts and your resources and your talents in a way that is honoring to God, that is Jesus-centered? Are you raising up the next generation? Or the word we use here in the church is, are you making disciples? That's the first group. The second group is uh, maybe you have too many places. There's too many places. You're wearing too many hats. You're doing too many things. You're pulled this direction and that direction all over the place. And you're tired. You're overwhelmed. You feel like life is just compartmentalized. It's disintegrated. And you're tired. First of all, I would ask you, what part of that can you control? Are there any boundaries that you might need to set up in your own life? And if that's so, I I, I would invite you to call on God. Call on the Holy Spirit. Call on the Holy Spirit of Christ, same spirit that is present with Jesus in the story that we just talked about, who gave this man very definitive boundaries. Jesus said no to something only to say yes to something else. He gave this man direction. We believe that the Holy Spirit can do the same thing in your life. Come up after the service here and pray with a, a prayer team member. Talk about that. Pray about that. A second group, or the third group is uh, maybe you're struggling finding your place. Maybe you never had a sense of place to begin with. 
And maybe growing up in your younger years, you didn't have a great sense of identity and love and delight. And so finding your place has always been a bit tricky, a bit difficult. And so maybe you're, maybe you're actually really lonely in that place. Loneliness is at an all-time high in America. And you could be surrounded by a whole crowd of people. You could be surrounded by things. You could be surrounded by money and still feel incredibly lonely. And if that's you, I'm just, I'm really sorry. That's a hard place to be in. And I would say this is why we put such a huge emphasis on getting plugged into community. Getting plugged into a small group uh, that's surrounded around Jesus and around encouragement and around love. We see, again, even in this story, Jesus pushes this man toward community. Not loneliness. He says, go back to your family. And I just had this sense as well as I was preparing that every time I came across that word family, go back to your family, I just have this sense that there are some in this congregation where that means something for you. When you see that word, go back to your family. And I, I, I can imagine there is maybe some strife or tension with a family member for some congregation members in here today. And I think God would tell you to address that humbly and lovingly, whatever that is for you. And then there's a last group. The last group, maybe, um, maybe you know what your place is, but you don't like it. You don't like the place that you're in. And maybe you can't actually control that place. That's a really hard place to be in. What do you do with that? I want to read uh, two different quotes that I came across that I thought were, were profound. Just two quotes. They go like this. When we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. That's a good one. That sounds kind of like Jesus. Sounds biblical. The second one says this, everything can be taken from a person but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. And for a lot of you, those are helpful. Uh, You're going to get a lot of mileage out of those quotes for those of you who are in that group. But for some still, you're not quite sold yet. You're thinking, ah, you know, that's nice, but those are probably just some cheesy quotes from some self-help book in Barnes & Noble, right? Well, let me tell you who said those quotes because I think that's helpful context for what maybe you're going through. These were written or said, at least, by a guy by the name of Viktor Frankl. Uh, he's a man who spent several years in Auschwitz in a concentration camp in Poland during World War II. This is a man who endures some of the most extreme suffering in modern history. And yet he finds in that place of all places a way to be able to say and to feel and to think, I can't control my circumstances, but I can control my attitude. I'm humbly convicted by that. And, And this is a man who takes his experience in a concentration camp And out of that develops this uh, really great study called logotherapy. It's the study of humanity's search for meaning. Which I can't think of a better person to develop this, right? 
somebody who finds meaning in some of the most extreme suffering. It kind of sounds like the foundation of the Christian faith, doesn't it? The embracing of a man who suffers and dies on a cross so that you and I can have meaning. We can have life. If you're in any of those groups, or maybe, maybe another group that I didn't even mention, I just want to say, do you know that you have a place? A place in the kingdom of God. That you belong. You belong. And that takes absolutely no effort from you, but to simply receive. To receive it because of the grace of God. You have a place. Maybe for some of you, that's the first time you've ever heard that. And I sincerely hope that you feel like you have a sense of place here at Hosanna. Uh, we're not perfect. No church is. And, and the church, the big C church, doesn't always reflect that. And if you've ever felt like you didn't have a place in the big C church because of who you are, because of how you're wired, because of things you've done or didn't do, because of doubts you've had, or even because you wrestle with science and the Bible for whatever reason that you didn't feel like you have a place in the big C church. And one of the things Ryan said this last week is, you know, people like Jesus, but they don't like the church or they're not so sure about his followers. And there's some truth to that. And we got to deal with that. We got to we got to re- like really deal with that. And I would say at Hosanna, we are trying our best to look more and more like Jesus. We want to be placemakers so that people begin to see that Jesus and the church are on the exact same page. I hope that you can or that you have felt that at Hosanna.